Welcome to Storytelling with Lindsay Bednar. Well, just tell me what's new. Have you been uh, holiday season? Oh my gosh, I've been really well. I've got a couple of trips coming up. I'm excited. I'm going to go to Montreal over Fun. New Year's. I've never been, so I'm very excited. I've never excited. been either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's going on in Montreal for New Year's? Nothing. Just going with a couple of girlfriends. How fun. I know. Is it like a, or do you have an event you're attending? No, we just booked a trip. We we're going to look at going to um, Portugal originally, but airfare was so expensive. Sure. And so we just started looking at a bunch of different options and that's what we landed on. How fun. Yeah. How long are you there for? Just a few days. Okay. Yeah. Just for the new year. Fun. I... Do not have any hall. Well, actually, I am traveling to New York in January for a client book lunch, which I'm really excited about. That's going to be in Brooklyn. And then I have a friend from high school who lives in Brooklyn. She just had a baby. So I get to visit her, which is going to be amazing. Oh my gosh. Meet the babe. So exciting. Have you been to New York? I did once, but it was for my friend's bachelorette party. So it was kind of a quick trip, hazy blur. I was nursing at the time. So I was pumping in all kinds of random locations around New York City, like Central Park bathroom, I was pumping in. And I remember there was a huge line of women trying to get in the bathroom. And people were confused as to why I was taking so long in the bathroom. My girlfriends were standing by the door, you know, guarding. And yeah, so I, I went when Whitney was six months, and I normally wouldn't have traveled, you know, with a baby that young when I'm nursing around the clock. But it was my best friend's uh, bachelorette party, and it was in New York, so I wasn't about to miss it. So, yeah, pretty memorable time in New York. This will be a little bit of a different experience. Yeah, this will be a little bit easier, <laughs> I feel. So, I am consistently getting feedback about your book while well, we're coming up on a year this spring after its release. People who are still stumbling across it, they've had it on their reading list and are just now getting to it. What has been some of the most surprising feedback and and reception to this book that you've had? I think what's been well, so twofold. Um, I'll give you kind of the, the good and the bad, which I think is always interesting because I like to look at things from all perspectives. I think that the the good, what I have found that people have been able to do is connect with so many different pieces of the story. And so whether people have been through a situation similar to mine, which was a shocking end to a relationship, a romantic relationship, or they don't have any perspective of what it's like to go through that, there are different pieces and aspects of the book that people have reached out and said, oh my gosh, I related to this. Or, And I'll give an example. So one example um, just a few months ago was someone that had had my book on their reading list for a while and finally got to it over the summer. And they were like, I'm a really slow reader. It's going to take me a while. And you know, most people tell me that they read it in a day or two days or, you know, maybe four days or something. And so this was a similar situation. This reader reached out and said, I read your book in like four days, which is record time for me. But what they really related to was they came from a home of divorced parents. And it brought them back to their childhood of having sort of a revolving door of men and women coming through that their parents were dating. 
Interesting. And so what really resonated for them was that I've stayed in these kids' lives to show them that they do have two parents, like two parental figures that love them unconditionally. And so that was really cool. That was something I didn't really expect. And then on the flip side, one of the things that I thought has been interesting, and it's actually the the great news about it is, you know me, I can find the good in everything. But one of the, you know, like there's a couple of reviews or feedback that was like, the story isn't that big of a deal. And that's actually given me a whole new platform of talking points because for me, it was. For me, it was a big deal because it's my life and it was my story and it was the biggest, most traumatic thing that had happened to me. And so is your story of what happened to you or anybody, right? So when I'm saying that, I'm, I'm speaking to everyone. And just because your divorce maybe wasn't plastered on the global, you know, headlines like Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, it's still your divorce and it's your life and it's your story and it's big to you and it matters. So whether or not people think my story is big or not, it's still my story. And even if it is a small story to them, it still led to a big trauma for me. Right. That's interesting. And obviously, whenever you share something vulnerable it's going to trigger so many things in people because it forces people to go inward, which is something that most everybody doesn't do because it's it's a scary process. Um, but, you know, I had a guest on last week and we talked about trauma and how one person's trauma can be another person's usual or that is just something that has been a part of their life from the beginning. So they don't, they might not recognize it as trauma, but that's the thing about trauma is it's, it's your perspective and it's going to resonate with some people and it's not going to resonate with others. But I'm surprised at that specific feedback in that it wasn't just a story about a relationship gone bad. There were so many different threads in it. And talk a bit about the the different, you, you mentioned that there was one person who came forward about the, the divorce part resonated with them. What are some of the other pieces of the book that really spoke to people in addition to a relationship that wasn't what they thought it was? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that happened or people would reach out to me in like DMs and they still do. It's it's great. I love it. I welcome it. And I love to have this dialogue and these conversations with people. And one of the things that's interesting, like, look, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a clinician. So I'm not out here diagnosing anybody. But one of the common themes and threads that has happened, and I didn't even call him. I don't think I even called him or like called it as it is. Like, yes, I said, these are things I experienced, but I've never come out and like diagnosed him as a narcissist or anyone else in the book. But that was a common thread of people reaching out to me and asking me questions about narcissism and those types of experiences, which I thought was really interesting. And, you know, like seeing the signs and the red flags and, you know, kind of ignoring them. I think being on a journey of personal growth and development. And I feel like I only barely touched on that. And I feel like in the book, it was more about the what happened. And then since the book has come out, I've been sharing more like in my own podcast and in my keynote speaking, that's about the after. 
you know, the, the after the story and what happened and kind of that journey of growing and evolving and really a complete transformation. Just when you were speaking about the transformation and what what is what has happened since all the things that have transpired since it got me thinking about the evolution of the title, and I want you to share that with the audience because the book is called "You're My Favorite." For those of you who haven't had a chance to read it yet, and it's a title that once you came up with it, it was like that's it. It's it's perfect for a lot of reasons, and 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 there's a specific reason as to why you chose it for the book. But talk a little bit about the evolution of what it was initially and how that relates to the overall theme of things not being what you thought they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So originally the name of the book, I love a play on words. Like I love words within words or I'm a sucker for acronyms. So if you don't like acronyms, I'm sorry, but I, I use them all the time. But it was originally blinded by love. And so blinded was spelled B-L-I-E-N-D-E-D. Now, I had to just explain that. And that was one of the issues that I was having as I was just starting to kind of tested in the market a little bit. And I was like, oh man, if I have to explain this every time. And plus with the lie in the blinded, it gave too much away. And so I'd always had this list of working potential titles. And it was literally two months maybe before the book was published. And I just, it didn't feel right. And I'm so glad I trusted that intuition and that instinct within myself, which I have gone on the journey of really learning and tuning into that and trusting myself and trusting my gut. And I went I went back into my file of my working titles and You're My Favorite was the last one on the list. And I was like, that's it. Oh, wow. I didn't know it was already on your list. Yes. Okay. It was. It was on my list. And so I don't know if you were the first one or if it was my friend Cindy that I had asked about the title. And I I tested it with like three people, you, my friend Cindy, and our mutual friend, who is like a big attorney here in the Twin Cities. So she and you, I felt at first, were actually a little bit hesitant to it. Because for you and I, we'd been working on this project for so long, and had like settled on the name. And my one friend was like, all about it. She's like, yes, that's it. Like, you have to change it. Like, no brainer. And then the other friend was like, oh, I don't know. Are you sure? Like, you want to change it at the last minute? And I'm, and in hindsight, like, I wouldn't even give it a second thought now. And when you read the book, if you haven't read it yet, there's three different points in the book that that theme really came through. And I was like, oh, this is like what a proper book should do. Like, it should give you just a couple of hints throughout that tell you why that's the name of the book. And this title did exactly that. It did. And it's funny that that was my initial reaction, but it's so true when you're in it and you've already kind of wrapped your head around what this is going to look like, what it's going to be called. We had mock cover ideas of just things you would come up with that hadn't gone to design yet. But because you had to see the title in order for the lie to kind of pop out, for it to make sense, it was blinded. I love, then yeah, as soon as you kind of explain that through and we talked about that recurring theme of you're my favorite, it was like, okay, yep, this is it. 
Yeah. And then it was also a series of events that made it go, oh my gosh, this is exactly what needed to happen. So originally I was going to be on the photo or I was going to be on the cover and I had a photo shoot scheduled. My photographer got sick, had to cancel. And then we ended up going because of the the change of title, we went a completely different direction in the design too. So it was just like it all worked out exactly as it was supposed to. As it does. Yeah. Yeah, I I think back to those beginning stages or middle stages, I guess, or probably towards the end of the book and how I'm always amazed by how guided the, this process is, you know, and one of the one of the people who you've spoke to in the book and who has like been a guide for you has been your dad. And there is a, a quote that you share from him and it was on the tip of my tongue but you're going to have to help me remember it but just about the the way in which book processes always seem to be guided by someone outside of ourselves and for you it seemed to be that your dad was a big part of that what kind of advice did he give you before his passing that has stuck with you oh my gosh so i call these my dad's dadisms they're kind of like a dad joke, right? But like intended, like very well-intentioned wisdom, like words of wisdom. So I'll give you a few of them. Like he had a couple that were like super funny because he would say things like, not too bad for a short little old fat guy. Or or like, um, you know, you got to do the best you can with the tools you got. But that's not the one that's really stuck with me. The one that's really stuck with me. And again, he would use it in like the worst timing. Again, well-intentioned, but just bad timing. Like when it's when it's not what you want to hear, but it's that you are the architect of your own destiny. And I look at that in a lot of different ways now as I have evolved and transformed and really changed in the past four years. So... I look at that in a couple of different ways. And one of the biggest ways I think is you're the architect of your own destiny. Like you can't always control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond. It's one of my favorite pieces of advice. And one of the things that when I I taught high school English for 12 years, one of the things that I saw come to fruition time and time again, because I worked with so many students who were dealt a bad hand. And they came from a lot of traumatic situations. And so when I would see these students and their resilience rise up from their background and recognize, I'm not going to let this define me. I am going to use this to create a better life for myself. And in fact, I have a previous student who we just wrapped her book at released last week. But I, I speak to that. I think I use that exact same quote in the foreword because it is a hundred percent what humans are capable of. It is far more empowering to consider that we don't need to let other people write our story. We use what happened to write a more fantastical story than we could have ever have imagined. And so I absolutely love that quote. You have had such a, an amazing transformation in the past several years And I want you to talk about some of the things that you have worked on that you have been involved with that have 
aided to that transformation? Oh my gosh, how much time do we have? So, <laughs> um, so the first thing that happened, well, I definitely started to notice, you know, a shift and a change in myself pretty quickly after that happened. I mean, one of the things was I was very turned off of men. Like I actually was just thinking about this yesterday that it was almost a full year before I even could like find a man attractive. Like that's how shaken I was over this experience. And about a year after the the breakup, almost exactly, your sister and uh, Vanessa had put on the first reset retreat. I, I go on this meditation retreat having never meditated for a second in my life. But I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll go to another country for five days. That's all focused on meditating. I mean, I guess I just go all in, right? It's kind of your MO. You're <laughs> just going to jump head first and, and do it big. And I really had no idea, A, what I was getting myself into and how life-changing that experience would be. Meditation has been one of the things that has really, I think, changed me the most in terms of being less reactive, being more calm, being more patient and tolerant. It's it's really something I do it almost every day. I try to do it every day. I did a meditation this morning. And that was really the start. I think that was the start of me being a little bit more open-minded. Certainly was the start of being very much more vulnerable. Sharing my story in my book is clearly the most vulnerable thing I've ever done. I don't think that anyone would have considered or called me vulnerable prior to, you know, this traumatic event happening in my life. But, you know, and then my dad passing away, that was obviously something that was really, really traumatic for me as well. I mean, he was really the only person in my family that I identified with being like. And so that was hard. It felt like I lost like a big part of me. But it's also on the flip side of that, given me more confidence and security in who I am. So a couple of other things that I've done on this journey since the book coming out is I have started a podcast to, again, like I said earlier, really to kind of share the after. Like I started learning. I I ended up creating a process called Gin Path, which is when I kind of stood at the end of this, and and I'm still on the journey, like, I don't think that there's ever an end to the journey. Like I always like to say, and use the word growing instead of growth, because it's the action. Yeah, it's never done. It's never on the path. Yeah. So you're always on the path. And so for me, gin path is the kind of the steps that I took on my journey. And I was like, Oh, I wish there was something like this, that I could have had easily accessed when I was going through all this. So I developed this process and I have a whole coaching program and a whole coaching model around it um, called The Path Forward. And I got my coaching certification, started a podcast, wrote a book, uh, do keynote speaking now. And um, so Gin Path is about gathering. So gathering your vision, gathering information. And for me, that was one of the first things I started to do was I gathered so much information and asked a lot of hard questions like, how did I get here? How did this happen? How did I let this happen? And that led me on this whole journey of really learning and, and digging in on things that people were reaching out like narcissism, gaslighting, things like gray rocking, boundaries, you know, exploring and going, gosh, if I needed to learn all these things and unlearn a lot of things um, at almost 40 years old at that point, 
other people probably could use access to some of this information too. Gray rocking is a term I've never heard of before. I'm very familiar with gaslighting, narcissism, but I would love for you to speak to gray, rock, gray rocking. Gray rocking. Yeah. Okay. So that's actually going to be episode 18 of Drinking with Jen is a whole episode on gray rocking. And basically what it is, is it's a technique that you use with narcissists. And I'll just give like a very high level, but you become as uninteresting, like a gray rock as possible. So that they start to lose interest and no longer view you and see you as supply. Wow. So it's a, it's a way to kind of counteract the, the methods, I suppose, that narcissists use where they keep pulling you back in. And so you turn yourself into a gray rock. That yep. is very uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> Which, okay, but you didn't do that. <laughs> I did not do that. Yeah. So that was actually something. And the reason why I like that is like, we we hear the a lot of these words like narcissism and gaslighting thrown around really flippantly. But do people really understand what they mean? And that's where, um, like on my podcast, I bring in credible resources and articles and sometimes expert guests where we talk about and really do deep dives in some of these conversations and on these topics and like gray rocking, that was one that was newer to me too. And that's why I was like, ooh, this is again, even though some of these are like more widely known words, like gaslighting was the Merriam Webster word of 2022. Oh, that's wow. how big it is right now. Wow. Yeah. I think both in relationships and just at a societal level, it has probably reached an all time high. Wow. So episode 18 will be about gray rocking. I'm definitely going to need to check that out because it is brand new to me. So you you did not make yourself uninteresting, that's for sure. Um, so that wasn't a tactic that you used. But when you were starting to, after the you had ended the relationship and you were starting to meditate, you said that was the first thing that you did in your transformation. Before you wrote the book before your podcast was started, your your coaching, um, that before you received your coaching licensure, what were some of those other things that you did in addition to meditating to kind of restructure your life and call in the good and, and weed out the bad? Yeah. So like you said, the nurture, like the meditation, that's my big nurture piece. And that might look different for everybody. It might be therapy. It might be what, you know, it could be a lot of different things. So meditation really falls into the N of Jin path. So the G, the I, and the N, um, that's the nurture. And then I talked about the gathering, like gathering information, asking a lot of hard questions. How did I get here to really, it started with looking externally, right? Like gathering information around the people around me. But then I did, and I think I took one of the hardest steps was turning that lens inward and really taking a deep look inside and myself and how did I get here, right? And so that was a big part of it. And then the I is intentionality. I really started to, after I gathered information, I began meditating. I really became intentional about so many more things in my life, more intentional about my work, more intentional about, you know, another one of my dad's dadisms is you're only as good as the company you keep. Really becoming intentional about who I have around me because we're all energy. 
And, you know, I love to talk about our emotional bank accounts and how you leave interactions. And in fact, the the girlfriend that taught me about emotional bank accounts, we spent the afternoon and evening together yesterday. And we're always like, how do we both feel like we just got a huge deposit every time? But and it's not to say that people aren't going to have bad days and need each other to lift them up. But when you constantly feel like you had a huge withdrawal and a drain after every interaction, or if every interaction you have with somebody, they're constantly talking negatively about people or behind people's backs and just paying a lot more attention and putting a lot more intention behind the relationships and the people that I have in my life. That's huge. And the the withdrawals and deposits, that was, we were introduced to that, uh, my husband Gary and I were introduced to that as part of marriage classes, and I'm trying to remember the book it comes from, and it is uh, escaping me. He said, she said, perhaps. I'm going to have to look that up. Is that it? I'm not sure. Okay. It might be. All right. But it, yeah, it talks a lot about that when you are constantly looking for ways in which you can you have your cup filled and that is what you are bringing to the table, the other person's going to be exhausted by it. And pretty soon they're not going to find value in that relationship anymore. And so it's not about seeing relationships as transactional as much as it is. How are you filling up this other person as much as they are filling you up and vice versa? How are you getting your needs met as much as you are meeting the other person's needs? So I would imagine that with that growth that you had in learning about frequency and energy, which is all anything really is, right? Everything's energy. I would imagine that you've had some shifts in relationships and things that have grown and in relationships that have, maybe you've seen it in a different light. Has that been a difficult journey? Has What has that been like in the past several years? It has been an interesting journey. So what I what is really interesting to me is what I learned in this process is those tendencies and behaviors that I do talk about in the book, like gaslighting, blame shifting, you know, a lot of the things that I experienced with Chad, I experienced because it was familiar to me my entire life. And familiarity sometimes has comfort, but that's not always a good thing. And so kind of what we talked about, I almost had to uncondition myself of what I'd been conditioned to for almost 40 years. And I slowly started to remove some of those toxic and abusive relationships from my life. And there's only a few. It's not that many, which is crazy, but they were some of the closest relationships to my life. And what would happen is, and I know you and I talked about this, but like what would happen is I would remove one and then it's like, it was like whack-a-mole kind of like, then another <laughs> one would pop up, but almost in a more, you know, because like narcissistic personality disorder, they want to control you. They want to be the number one in your life so that you need them. And so it's like, once I would get rid of one, then the next one would rise to the top. And for me, in this learning process and journey of really starting to understand it and starting to know and trust myself, 
it was like there was a magnifying glass on it. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, I see you now. Like, you can't fool me. And so, like, I feel like I've really kind of weeded out most of the toxicity from my life. And as I have become more vulnerable, softer edges, more warm, which I think that's who I've always been to my core, but I had developed unhealthy coping mechanisms, which created a wall, which made people think that, oh, she's cold and tough. But now I've really started to become my authentic self and and be me wholeheartedly who I am. And what that's done is it's highlighted those healthy friendships that I've had, like my girlfriend that I was with yesterday. I mean, we've been friends for over a dozen years. I have a lot of long-standing, really wonderful people in my life. And it's highlighted those relationships and has allowed those to become the forefront of what's in my life. And then in the past, you know, like you're someone who's come into my life in the past several years and you're warm and vulnerable and all of those things that I just described. And now those are the kind of people that are coming into my life. Hmm. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I feel like our paths, and we've talked about this before, they had crossed several times before we really sat down and had our first coffee date to talk about your book idea. But I feel like that came about right at the time that it needed to. And you were at the spot where your vulnerability and your authenticity was at a a higher level than it had ever been before, which is what was completely necessary for this book to happen. And, you know, when you were talking about whack-a-mole and how these people start to surface themselves, it's like uh, Vanessa, our meditation coach, talks about when we are trying to clear something negative from our energy field, we will get these situations that crop up for us to confirm, delete these patterns. So it, it can feel confusing or frustrating because you're working so hard on getting rid of something and then all of a sudden it crops up again. You're like, wait, I thought I was getting rid of that. But it actually presents itself as an opportunity to be like, okay, are you ready? Like you've been doing this work. So if you're ready, let's confirm and delete this and prove to yourself, you're not going to put up with this anymore, or you're going to do things differently this time. And so I really like how she puts it in that way, because it, it, it reaffirms that we are on this journey to constantly grow and constantly learn. And those are opportunities for us to, to grow that much further, as opposed to looking at it as you know, something frustrating that these are opportunities to say, oh, someone's showing me they're ugly and I have set a hard boundary. I'm not going to deal with that anymore. Now is your opportunity to prove to yourself that you have changed and and, and your boundaries are so much stronger and you're going to call in better energy going forward. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts to add on to that. Yes. And, and one of them is that when you start to not feed into those toxic behaviors, sometimes they'll remove themselves from your life. And that's okay too. It it just kind of works out a little easier for you when that starts to happen, but it is because you start to have boundaries or you don't feed into it. And 
I'll just give a very honest example. So, you know, as I've been working to transition out of corporate America and into this new life of keynote speaking, podcast, authoring more books, I had a friend who was like, well, aren't you scared? You know, gosh, like groceries have gotten so expensive and gas money. And aren't you terrified you're going to need health insurance? And it was so interesting, like old Jenny would have been like, should I be scared? Well, should I be terrified? Oh my gosh. Yeah, those are all really valid points. But the people that really love and support you are never going to try to instill fear in you like that. And that's another big shift and change that I've seen in the friendships. And like, I was reflecting on like my keynote speaking coach and you and how closely and intimately we, we work together, or even my business coach, who's her name's Nicole Walters. Like she's massively huge. Like she's on TV. And she, when I told her, I was like, look, I'll take your leftover keynote jobs. And she was like, "Uh uh-uh, absolutely not. There is enough work for both of us. And that is the kind of women that we need in our lives that we are supporting and lifting each other up, like not trying to instill fear or hold back or talk about each other behind each other's backs. Like it's just that's been another big shift and something that I've noticed has really happened. It's finding people who have the that abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset. And it's so huge because scarcity, obviously, just is created by fear. And for women, especially, it's an interesting dynamic when women start to step into any kind of role that is different from the grain. So if you're doing a podcast, if you're authoring a book, um, you're if you step away from corporate America, there are so many people who come forward with fears as to that step. And I've seen it happen over and over again in the last several years. My sister left you know, corporate America and left her job as a lawyer for 18 years. And there were a lot of people like, how can you walk away from a job that it's like that, you know, um, I left a teaching job that was a low paying job, but it had security, it had the benefits, it had everything. And you have been wildly successful in your career in corporate America for years. And so when you, other than the one comment, how has that been received in transitioning into what you are doing now? And have you learned about more about the people and relationships in which you want to share what you're up to. Mm-hmm. So I haven't talked about this publicly yet, but I think this is the perfect place to do that. I learned a couple of weeks ago that I have an end date in corporate America and it's next month. And I just got like, okay, so Lindsay, you know this about me. I have like an intuitive download sign and it's like whenever the truth and like all good things are happening, I get this feeling and sensation and that just happened as I said that. Yes. Um, and what's been really fascinating is I have had zero fear about it. I am only excited and invigorated about the future. Now, one thing that's really interesting, so I've been in the aesthetics industry for 18 years. I can't imagine choosing an industry more about vanity than that. And again, no surprise based on kind of what I just shared, right? And like what I was familiar with and what I was used to. Like my brother, without asking my permission, when I was a teenager, had signed me up or like applied for me to be in a beauty pageant. 
I got in. I had no interest in doing it. But You're like, kidding. No. So there's so <laughs> much about like physical appearance and, you know, everything like that. So when I think about being in the aesthetics industry for the last 18 years, and look, it's been good to me. It has been a good ride. Like I don't have any complaints, but, and there's a lot of great people in the aesthetics industry. But when I found out, and it was a it was a public announcement that my company was shutting us down, closing our company, that I'd be without a job, I got calls from one person, one person in my entire industry. All of the other messages were, how do I get my money back? How do I return the product? What are you going to do for me? And that was really eye-opening to me as well. Again, a very again. I'm not, and again, I'm not saying that there's not a lot of really great people in the aesthetics industry. I've met some of my closest friends over the last 18 years in the industry. And so you're saying the people who reached out to you, they're from the industry. There was only one checking in on you personally. One customer. Wow. One customer, and she actually came from industry. So that was really eye-opening to me. And. And she's an amazing person, an amazing human. And then she called, you know, we talked again this past week and she said that her and her husband had gone and listened to every one of my podcasts and they're, you know, one of Ginny's gems now. And it was just really, it was really heartwarming. But also, like I said, in working with you and my speaking coach and my business coach, it's just a different feel of this connection and warmth and vulnerability and caring. Um, like my you, my speaking coach, my business coach, all of these people that have been my the backbone of my support entering this new phase, shall we call it the next chapter of my career and life, have gone above and beyond. Like, yes, we all have to make a living, but you gave me extra sessions and extra time. Nicole gave me extra sessions and extra time. Danielle has given me extra sessions and extra time because we know that that's what we need to do to have the best possible outcome. And because there's good intentions and we're nurturing and taking care of each other, it all just comes together and I see it in a different way now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The players in your life, from my perspective, because we worked together so closely for a year bringing the book together, they've definitely shifted. And I know you spoke to this, but from what I see, it is those really authentic relationships that have come to the forefront. And I think that's part of when anybody's growing and coming into themselves and meditation does such a great job of really connecting you to your higher self and you know the best version of yourself is any amount of inauthenticity is just like gross it just feels like so out of skin and i think you know part of your practice was that that first part of growing into who you are is removing that energy, that negative energy, surrounding yourself with people who see you for you and believe in you and know what you're capable of. And I love that you found a speaking coach, a business coach that sees you like I see you, because those are the people who are going to take you to where it is that you're able to go and and for you to reach your potential. And your podcast has been going so well. You're on episode 18 
Yeah, 17 comes out this week, 18 next week. It's just been a whirlwind. Wow. And what has been one of your favorite, most surprising parts about the podcast? So I did sort of a reset. Um, my, my speaking coach has been so much more than just a speaking coach. She looks at all of my content. She has helped me in so many ways. She's become a great friend. I mean, again, above and beyond. But in listening to my podcast, she was like, she actually wanted me to start over. And her and I, we have a very clear understanding of like, I will always listen to all of her advice. I don't always take it. And she's like, if you feel really strongly about something, and I felt really strongly about not completely starting over, because I did love that there's some really good feedback. But she basically was like, you need to just tell the story. You have to tell the story in the book. And so originally, I was scripted. I was a little bit more formal. And I was kind of like creating the storyline of kind of stretching things out, right? And dragging it out. And I did need to just rip the bandaid off and get to the hard part of the story and just tell the story. And that's what I did. And I went unscripted. And the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. And people are saying, like, listeners are saying it's more purposeful, it's more meaningful. I'm getting messages from people going, oh my gosh, I was married to a narcissist and thank you for sharing this. They love now I bring on like expert guests. And so they're like, oh, I love when you have guests on and like you really dig into really good stuff and that it's helping. Like that's at the end of the day what it's for. It's not because it's fun for me to talk about having to go into a clinic and get, you know, tested for the full panel of STDs. But <laughs> if that can help other people and having that information and knowing like how we can best take care of ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, that's what it's there for. So, you know, getting feedback that now it's like sitting at dinner and having a conversation. It's, it's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. And so you started your podcast with having more of a script and now you're, you're unscripted. Yeah. Yeah. It, as of um, episode six, I went unscripted. I do have notes, especially if I'm referencing articles. So I'll have like certain notes that I will have just to make sure I'm quoting things appropriately or I'm staying on track with different articles that I'm or books that I'm quoting. But yeah, other than that, it's unscripted. So it just has a more natural feel. And that's hard for me. So two of the things that I've really been working on hard in the last year are people pleasing and uh, perfectionism. Yeah, that it's tough when you are putting yourself out there to know that you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And I have always notoriously been a people pleaser. And it was really, I think, my meditation practice that allowed me to realize I'm not going to please everybody. And trying to do that is just too exhausting. And I also just had this like innate desire to just be fully me. And I couldn't, I felt too many restraints in the career I was in that I couldn't be fully me. And, and just, yeah, just thinking of how what I say or do might hit different audiences or people. But I know that my intentions are pure. And I know that when I'm my authentic self, that the right people I'm connecting with, or that I'm going to connect with the, the people who need it, or that it's going to resonate with. And then the other people, they're going to find somebody else that 
they can connect with and that'll resonate with them. It is a, it's a humbling process for sure, but it's also so incredibly freeing at the same time to just realize, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going to be for everybody and that's okay. Cause the ones I'm for, it's going to be impactful and it's going to be real. And sometimes it surprises you, mm-hmm. you know, who it's for, who you connect with and, for sure. Generally speaking, it's always a huge honor for me. Like anytime someone reaches out and they're like, oh my gosh, this helped me or this touched me or, you know, this resonated with me. That means so much. And the fact that people take the time to do that yes. and like, that's the whole point of it all. It's funny because I was talking with someone who he'll be an upcoming guest, but he was saying he wanted to come on and we're going to talk about his story a little bit, which has been um, some family abandonment. And he's like, you know, if it could just help maybe one dad out there. And I was like, "Er, nope, that's not what we're doing here. We are not here to help one person. And I made a joke in my own podcast. And I was like, if, if I applied or like I was interviewing for my corporate job and I was like, you know what, if we could just sell this product to (laughs) one customer, to one patient, it would all, I wouldn't get hired. So why, when we are self-employed, right? Or like stepping into this entrepreneurship life where like, and I don't know if you remember, I did it with the book. I was like, if I could just help one person with writing, no, I would not have spent three years of my life and my nights and my weekends pouring my heart out in the most vulnerable way if I really thought it was just going to help one person. Right. It is uh, that protective, you know, armor we, we put on ourselves. Like I, I, I'm not expecting to change the world. I just want to influence one or, you know, I just want to help somebody. But the reality is when we are doing something that is aligned with our truth and our authentic selves, the reach is far greater than we can even imagine. And what has been so cool in my role as a publisher is watching authors like yourself where the, the, the reach always surprises me. I mean, I know, I, I knew You're My Favorite was a phenomenal book that I had read over and over again and still found myself wanting to go back to it because the characters were as such that they became familiar and and I, it was just like a, a show you wanted to return to. So I knew we had something there, but but then you know, when you put it out and the the feedback you get and the reviews and the people who, like you said, take the time out of their day, not just to read the book, but then to share their feedback, there's nothing like it. Well, and look, when it comes to podcasts and it comes to books, like we depend on reviews. We depend on ratings. Like that is our lifeline. That is our blood supply. And so we need people to, yes, like, buying the book and, you know, spending the $19.99 on it. And I had people buying it for their book clubs and for gifts. And it is also appreciated. But taking that 30 seconds to go on and click the five stars and, you know, maybe taking an extra minute and writing a review to say what resonated with you or what you liked about it, it means so much. So much. Just as anybody who owns a business, you know, if I've had a really great interaction with someone who owns a business or just a customer service agent from a, a like a, what do we get? It was from Werner Stallion, like our, our dryer. And 
there was somebody who was so helpful and so polite. And I took the time to just reach out to the company and share it with that and share about that individual because it's those interactions that make such a big difference. And when people rely on those reviews, it's, it's huge. And I'm so grateful to everybody who has reached out to any project I've been a part of, but yours, especially people have been really great at providing feedback. They have. And so every single one is appreciated, especially because in the culture and the society that we live in right now, where the negative voices are oftentimes the loudest, like it sometimes takes five of the positive voices to quiet that negative right. voice. And so <laughs> like it, like people live, you know, in this, the keyboard warriors, right? Like brave behind the screen. And so right. the fact that there are so many more supportive people, it, it does, it, it really means so much. It does. And, and for anybody who, you know, if you're a teacher or you're working a corporate job, you get reviews and you get feedback from your your boss or whoever it is from your students. I always would survey my students just to check in, like, how can I make things more clear? What are you enjoying? What are you not enjoying? And it is what allows us to do better. And so when you put out a podcast or a book, it's like you're you're putting it out into this, the world and and then you're just kind of this invisible person in the background where it, unless they take the time to reach out to you, you really have no idea how it's hitting or sitting with people. And I'm, you know, it, now in our forties, I feel like I don't, I don't want to shy away from any sort of feedback because I've, I've learned the most throughout my career, through my missteps than I have through the things that have gone really well. And so typically reviews are either five shiny stars and talking about how much this book resonated with them and how appreciative they are, or it's the absolute flip side of somebody who is very triggered by a book or an episode of a podcast or whatever it is. And so they're going to give a very negative rating because of how it affected them personally, how it triggered them. Yeah. So when we're doing things that are creative, like a book or a podcast, and we put those out there without hearing that feedback from our listeners or from our readers, it is very difficult to gauge how all of this work we've poured into, how that is landing with people. And so for anybody listening, if you've read her book, if you haven't had a chance to review it, um, so I encourage you to do so. And and whenever you have an interaction that's powerful, I would just encourage everybody to take the time to let that person know, even if it's not public, even if you send, I mean, how many DMs have you had over the past year? It's been incredible. I mean, people giving feedback, like we talked about earlier in terms of what connected with them. I mean, I had people dropping in my DMs that were like, I'm also a real life victim of Chad. Um, which that was fascinating. That happened several times. And of the same person from your book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the main the main character in my book, that's not his real name. Obviously, we changed the names for um, protection purposes. But yeah, the reviews do really matter. And especially when you think about 
my story and what so many people are doing when they're sharing their story of their adversity or their traumatic event in their life, it's so personal to them. And having a little grace for that and that vulnerability of like really putting that out there with the intention of going, I hope this helps people. And as long as people can see and they know that intention is pure, like I didn't do it for my health. I didn't do it to be salacious, even though there is some salacious stuff in the book. That just was my real life, unfortunately, at that time. So knowing the intention was pure and that I wasn't sharing this story to be vindictive. And you would have never published with me if that was the case. Like you said that straight out of the gates. Like I wanted to work on this project because I saw the intention behind sharing the story and you're my favorite. Absolutely. And I think that is, I I would love for everybody to recognize that the intention behind anything, any new project or anything we start is so huge. I mean, for, for anybody who isn't familiar with Simon Sinek, I'm sure most everybody is, but the guy who talks about the why and the purpose and how that's why Apple has gotten so huge is because they talk about, they find the why and what motivates people to buy their products. And when I'm working with an author on their book, even if it is a children's book, I always ask about the intention and the why first. And, you know, for children's book, it could be as simple as I, I want to make people laugh, or I, I wanted a book like this to read with my kids and it wasn't on the market. Like that's still a great intention. And then of course, with the memoir, the why needs to be in service to humanity for some reason. And when we connected and you talked about all of the things that you learned in your journey that you wish you would have known about, or like the gin method, you wish you would have had these tools to apply it to your life. That was like, okay, yep, she's got a clear intention and it is about being in service to others. And so, yeah, it's a great story and it's a page turner, but it really is about that intention. Yeah. And I wouldn't have been able to do everything that I'm doing since had I not shared the story. Right. So it's like there's the story of what happened and then there's the story of what happens next. And the what happens next is what I get to help other people with, whether or not they've been through a similar or a different type of adversity. There's so many, right? There's physical, emotional, mental, financial, but gin path can be applied to any of those. So speaking of what happens next, you are leaving your corporate job. Yes, ma'am. And what is on the horizon for Ginny in 2023? 2023 is all about what's meant to be. That's my <laughs> that's my little um, tagline. No, so um, I've got two rounds, um, two cycles of the path forward, which is the coaching program, and it's hybrid. And the reason why I did hybrid is it's a it's a four week coaching program. It's highly customized, so I've got very limited spots. It's a very approachable package, I will say, from a timing, from a pricing standpoint, and. The reason why it's so limited in terms of space is because it is very customized. So it's three weeks of group and then one individual one-on-one coaching with me. So I've got two rounds of that launching um, one in January and then one that will bridge February, March. 
I've got keynotes already on the books. I've got my podcast up and running. And uh, who knows when book number two will be out, but that is... I was just going to say, when do we get to work together again? Yeah, it's underway. So just getting getting started in the framework of that, which I'm very excited about. So a lot to look forward to. Well, it is has it has been so much fun watching the last year and how much your life has shifted and since the release of the book and well even the year leading up to that so i have no doubts that this next year will be just as big and i'm so excited for you to step into your own career where you get to carve out the people with whom you want to work the content with which you want to work and continue to serve others in so many different ways. I'm yeah. so happy for you. Thank you. I'm really excited. Well, where can people find you? I would say the two best places. So connect with me on social. It's at Ginny Prem, just my full name, G-I-N-N-Y-P-R-I-E-M. That's also my website. And so I'd say those are the two best places. I am on Facebook, although I don't utilize that as much. I basically do Instagram. I do have a LinkedIn page as well, but those are um, the two areas. And then you'll be able to see updates. I'm starting a YouTube channel. You'll see I've got, I'll keep things up to date, like my upcoming keynotes that are um, able to be attended by the public. And just, you'll be able to keep up with what's going on. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming today. This has been so much fun. I don't get to see you enough now that we're so busy. So I'm glad I got to sneak you in for an afternoon. Yes. And thank you. Yeah. Love you, girl. Love you. You're my favorite.